0: hey this is pastor arm and i want to thank you for joining me today for the activation church podcast we are here so that people can activate their life in christ and i believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before check it out my name is randy sutton i'm the worship pastor here at activation church and i will be bringing you the word today so before we get into ephesians 3 we have to do some background work and that's how i like to do it And so we're going to talk about the person of Paul, the writer of the epistle that we're going to be looking at. Uh, When I'm referring to Paul, I will refer to Paul as Saul before his conversion, and I will refer to Paul after his conversion. So the author of this epistle is Saul of Tarsus. He was born in the city of Tarsus in Rome. He was educated by the top Pharisees in Jerusalem. He was a Jewish theologian and a religious zealot. He himself said in Philippians, the third chapter, verses five and six, he says that he was circumcised on the eighth day. Apparently, that's the best way to be circumcised, the eighth day. He says uh, that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church and blameless under the law. Now, imagine this guy who had seen Jesus now, before he had seen Jesus, called himself blameless under the law. <laughs> that's... a that's, uh, that's interesting. So then he says, uh, um, there were two types of people, though, that he could not stand. Uh, Gentiles being non-Jews and Christians. And what we're going to do is we're going to make one in the same today. (laughs) Christians who are Gentiles. So he couldn't stand them. Matter of fact, uh, we're going to see where he hunts them down here in a minute. He was in no way empathetic or compassionate towards those who did not share his racial, cultural, religious traditions and heritage. That's relatable today. So Saul was literally a religious terrorist. He was present and approved of the stoning, the martyrdom of Stephen, who was chosen to be just the mere waiter for the disciples and the Christians of the early church. Acts 5 says this about Stephen. It says, he was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Yet Saul hunted these people down. He captured them. He beat them and killed them if possible. You see, Christians of the early church were in great danger of meeting Saul. He was strong. He was bold. He was courageous. And those aren't, you know, bad qualities, they're just misdirected qualities. So, men, fathers, wives understand that sometimes the best part of a man or his strengths is just misdirected. And Saul's zeal and passion was misdirected, and God had to intervene. In Acts, the ninth chapter, we see where God intervenes. We see Saul's radical conversion. Jesus meets Saul on the road to Damascus. He meets Saul on the road to Damascus. In his everyday task of persecuting Christians, God intervenes. He's pursuing. He's chasing. He's interrupting to make himself known. It says that suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard the voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul then is physically blinded by the glory of the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine this scene? He's got people with him and they don't see what he sees. And he's blinded by the glory of the Lord. And then Jesus gives him this revelation. And Saul realizes it's not about Jew, Gentile, nationality, skin color, tradition, or even religion. It's about Jesus. Jesus gives Saul a new identity in Christ and he redirects all of Saul's strengths for the kingdom work. Can we not relate? The grace of God has invaded our hearts and changed us for his kingdom work. I love that God takes his eyesight when he reveals himself in all of his glory. And I want to pray this prayer before we get into Ephesians, the third chapter. Lord, let that be our prayer today, that we might put away all distractions, put away everything that we can touch, taste, hear, and see to experience you in all your glory and goodness. Set our focus on the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and Omega, the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth, so that we might be a part. By your grace, for your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we all said, amen. So Paul now is given a mandate to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, whom he previously hated and persecuted. And as the new converts gather together, they begin forming churches in many different cities. And this is a part of one of the letters that Paul wrote to the early church in Ephesus. Ephesians, the third chapter, now that we have a clue into who Paul is and who's writing this, apply that to these words as we walk through them. But much of what Paul is about to tell us, he's already told us in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, but this time he tells us in a more personal way, and he unpacks it in a more personal way, and he shows us the fullness of what he meant in the first two chapters, I want you to note the I's, the my's, and the me's in this scripture. He's telling the Church of Ephesus of his very personal experience of God's revelation revealed to him by Jesus. So Ephesians 3 1. We're going to walk through this. I hope that you're blessed by everything that's said today. Ephesians 1 3. For this reason, I, of course, we have to stop. What's the reason? For this reason. The reason is, Ephesians 2, 15, starting in verse 15, he's telling people the Gentiles are now being grafted in to the promises and the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's for everyone. It's for all nations. So for that reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. And Paul is describing himself as a prisoner of Christ because he's literally under Roman imprisonment when he's writing these letters for preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul breaks his line of thought here to unpack what we're going to look at, the mystery of Christ. You can see this because he picks up his thought in verse 14, which we won't even get to. But what he's going to say is, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, am about to pray over you, in verse 14. But he breaks this thought here, because he wants to unpack the mystery of Christ a little bit, and I want to unpack it for you. We're going to talk about the revelation of the mystery of Christ, and I'm going to use the word mystery a lot. This is not an episode of Scooby-Doo, though. we got the mystery of Christ. We have the mystery of the gospel. We have the mystery of the cross, and we have the mystery of the plan of God, and I want to look at all of these things. So Ephesians 3, 2. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, we've already established that God's grace is his enabling power, okay? Through the Holy Spirit for his purpose. You have gifts, you have talents, you have strengths. And God graces you with his enabling power to use all of those things for his glory. Okay? So Paul's telling us here that God's grace, his enabling power, was given to him for you. Now, I want you to to feel that for a second. Put your name there. This is God's plan of redemption for you, Cameron, Jimmy, Frank, for you, written down on paper by the hand of the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago in a Roman prison for you. For you. God had you in mind when he interrupted Paul on the road to Damascus. He had you in mind. And Paul is saying, in case you haven't heard, I've been empowered by God to tell you this good news. Ephesians 3, 2 again. Assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that has been given to you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of man in other generations. Hang on to that thought. Was not made to the sons of man in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So what was the revelation of the mystery of Christ? The word mystery here occurs 27 times in the Bible. 27 times throughout Scripture. The the mystery that is being referenced in this verse is referring to something which was in some measure hidden in time past, but now revealed to Paul in its fullness on the road to Damascus. The mystery that was once hidden in the past is now revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ the gospel, in Jesus' own words, so that whoever, how many people in here are a whoever, believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. And Paul has already alluded to this mystery in previous chapters of this letter, but now he's unpacking it for us a little bit. Ephesians 3, 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Do we have the Spirit? Yeah. Okay. Do we live on this side of the cross? Yes. yes, we do. I'm going to show you what it looked like on the other side of the cross. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what is the mystery of the gospel? It's that now the gospel is fully coming, fully and freely to Gentiles. Paul claims that this mystery was not made clear in times past. Okay? He's saying this was not clear in times past. So did God give us a glimpse? Did he give us... Pieces of an incomplete puzzle. Did he give us types and shadows into this mystery throughout the Old Testament? Yes. But now they're only revealed to be referring to the Christ. Because we're on this side of the cross, and the Holy Spirit has indwelt all of us. So you see the contrast. Okay, so but no one understood the fullness of God's redemptive plan but God. I'm going to show you some of these scriptures that show that he means to save all nations, every tongue. Genesis 3.15 says this, And I will put enmity between you, Satan, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He, the Messiah, will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is the first prophecy in the Bible from God and this announcement of the gospel this gospel comes to the seed of the woman does it come to the seed of the Jewish woman you see how it's veiled genesis 12th chapter the second verse when god is calling abraham he's setting up the abrahamic covenant he says i will make unto you a great nation i will bless you i will make your name great and you will be a blessing And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham, the father of faith, God is already telling him, it's not just your family I'm coming after. I'm coming after all the people of the world. So this is already anticipating that God's plan of redemption for all nations all over the earth will be blessed. And as you can see, the gospel to all, for all is slightly veiled in mystery in other generations. But now Paul is saying it's being revealed by the revelation of Christ himself. Ephesians, the third chapter of the sixth verse. Let's continue. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given to me by his working power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. Paul's very aware of the other disciples, the other apostles. He says, I'm the least of the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ of Christ. You see, Paul here feels unqualified by his past. How many people in here have felt unqualified because of their past? I would assume that every one of us at some point could feel unqualified because of our past. But it's by the saving grace of Jesus Christ that that past is erased. And then you are reborn, a new creation. God's grace moves in our life, and every purpose that he has for us can be walked out. So he says, the unsearchable riches of Christ. But I mean, Paul goes on to write one-third of the New Testament by the grace of God activated in his life. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Pinning Scripture. We're all in some way pinning our own Scripture in time by living out the gospel. Listen, Ephesians, the third chapter of the ninth verse, and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things? The mystery of the gospel was not the only element of the mystery of Christ that was in some measure hidden in the Old Testament. So what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages? I can only remember Peter saying, "Like, look, guys, I know Paul, the stuff Paul writes is kind of hard to understand, but I'm just a fisherman. But we're unpacking it right now. So what was the mystery, the plan, the, God's redemptive plan? The plan was the cross. Amen. The fact that the Messiah would come as king and die on a cross was clearly hidden to most first century Jews. One example is a disciple, Peter. In the book of Matthew, in the 16th chapter, we have a conversation between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus comes to him and he says, he comes to his disciples and says, who do do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples start talking. Some say Elijah, some say, you're the guy who runs the Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know. You know? Jesus is like, What? Some say you're John the Baptist, back from the dead. And Jesus is like, no, that guy's dead. (laughs) And Peter pipes up. He's the guy that's like ready to answer, his hands in the air. You're the son of God. You're the Christ. And Jesus is like, yeah, this guy got it. But he tells him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus begins to tell them in verse 20, 21, he says, from that, from that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. Could you imagine being Peter? Hold on a minute. I just got a hundred on that test before. Now I'm failing again. (laughs) Get behind me, Satan. For you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see what Jesus is saying to Peter right now? He's saying that Satan, 100% of his time, is dedicated to you. Not to me. To you. To kill, steal, and destroy, and deceive you. Although Peter was formally right in confessing Jesus as Messiah, Peter, however, did not embrace the notion that this Messiah would be crucified. In other words, Peter, Peter's understanding of who the Messiah was from the Old Testament scriptures was partial. What Peter believed about Jesus from the Old Testament scripture was true, but not fully revealed. As Peter has shown us, it is possible to make a true confession and still not understand everything there is to know about the gospel. And I feel like that's where we're at right now. I feel like we're walking with our heads held high, which is fine. Because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we have been cleaned and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in him, you should walk with your head held held high. But as a collective people, we're walking around with our noses up saying we've got it. And we don't got it. The endless riches of Christ, you will never get it. We will spend all of eternity learning of the manifest wisdom of God. And the joy of the Lord will overcome us from the information that he shares from his own mouth. I look forward to that. So it's possible to make a true confession and still not understand everything there is to know about the gospel. Peter was not alone in this regard. Five times in Matthew alone, Jesus predicts his own impending death by crucifixion and resurrection on the third day, yet the disciples were not standing at the tomb on Sunday waiting for their Messiah to come out. This revelation that Paul's telling us about was totally lost totally missed even when jesus with his own mouth told these people i'm going to be at the tomb on sunday i'm coming out these are the same disciples that saw lazarus come out of the tomb now i'm not saying i would have been there <laughs> i don't even know if i would have been in the upper room i would have been in the pub down the street this is over this is over. Did y'all see what it just did to Jesus? This is done, son. Let's get our nets and a beer and go. Look, I'm just being real. I'm just being real with you guys. I don't have to speak next week. That's not necessarily true either. <laughs> we're doing we're doing some communion, so I'll say a few things about Jesus. But they were hidden away in the upper room for fear of the Jews. They still didn't have a full revelation of the crucified Messiah. They still had their doubts that Jesus would rise from the dead. We see this in John, the 20th chapter, and verse 25. Unless I see the nail-marked hands, unless I put my fingers where the nails were, unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. They had No way of thinking that their king would be crucified. Was there evidence that the Messiah would be killed, slaughtered, and crucified in the Old Testament? Absolutely. But the fullness of those prophecies and scriptures are unclear unless you're on this side of the cross or God himself told you before Jesus' crucifixion. First we have the picture in Leviticus the 16th chapter of the sacrifice of animals for the sins of the people every year on the day of atonement. Every year they did this. Second we have the Passover lamb which dies in place of the people. The wrath of God passes over the people because of the sacrifice of the spotless lamb. In Isaiah 53:5 it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. In Isaiah 53:7, he was op- oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that has led to the slaughter. You see, the fullness of these prophecies were not fully revealed. So the revelation of the crucified Messiah was lost on the disciples and the Jewish community. It's only because of the work, ministry, and life of Jesus Christ that the fullness of the Old Testament is revealed clearly. Jesus says this to his disciples in Matthew, the fifth chapter, in the 17th verse. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. The law and the prophets is the Old Testament. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. Jesus himself is saying this. We have the blessing of hindsight, guys. They didn't. So we can now see that the promise and the prophecies of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant are fully revealed in the New Testament. I love that. The mystery of the cross was predicted and prophesied in the past and fulfilled in the present. But at the same time, it was veiled or hidden in some measure in the past and revealed in the present. Back to the future. We see this in Romans, the 16th chapter and the 25th verse through the 27th. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept in secret for long ages but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings has now been known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be the glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, the gospel was predicted in the Old Testament and revealed in the New. The gospel was also hidden in some measure in the Old Testament and revealed in the New. So what was the purpose of this mystery? And this is where it's going to get fun. What is the purpose of this mystery? Paul's about to tell us. Ephesians 3.10, back to our scripture. So that through the church, listen to this. I know it's behind me, isn't it? It's behind me? It's not so much of a cliffhanger anymore, is it? So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now, if I'm going to say that the way I want to say it, it's going to say that God has chosen to reveal his manifold wisdom through the church to heavenly places through us. That is a wild moment. It was for me, because when I was going through the Scripture, I was like, man, I don't want to talk about this. But then I read that, and I was like, man, i got to talk about this. (laughs) So this manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you're starting to see why Paul wanted to interrupt his own thought. He's like, for this reason, I'm about to pray for you. Wait a minute, I have things to say. The church is to display the manifold wisdom of God's redemptive plan. Do you feel like we are doing that? Do you feel like the church today is displaying the manifold wisdom of God's redemptive plan? God wants to radically change murderers. God wants to change people who are open, openly blasphemous. When we live out the gospel, us as the church, we are displaying the manifold wisdom of God. That's a lot of responsibility. It's a good thing he sent his Holy Spirit. And the angels behold and wonder what God has done and does in creating the church, the bride. But not only does he want to show his manifold wisdom through us here on earth, he's using us to show his manifold wisdom, his redemptive plan. In heavenly places. It's even more responsibility. The revealing of the mystery of Christ is a display of God's plan, wisdom, grace, and creativity of His work to heavenly beings in the unseen. And when the angels see this, they cry, Holy, 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 and they give God glory for what He has done. Much of the mystery of Christ was not completely understood or revealed to even the angelic beings. Could you imagine Paul being interrupted on his way to persecute Christians? His life's flipped upside down, and now he's walking around with information that not even angels have. That's cool. I don't know about you. Spoiler alert, that's cool. The first thing he does is spoil it. He says, I got something to say, whether you've seen the movie or not. <laughs> so the mystery of Christ was not completely understood or revealed even to angelic beings. There must have been some shocking discussions when the Son of Man arrived on the scene among these angels to discern what is going on with the Son of God. What's, coming, what's going on here? Hold on a minute. He's just a mere man, fully man, fully God. He's not being worshiped yet. They're spitting at him. They're talking bad about him. They're beating him. They're bruising him. They're sacrificing him. They're bloodying the son of God. And the angels are sitting in heaven wondering, what is this plan? 1 Peter 1 verse 12 says this. When speaking about the mystery of Christ and the Gospels, angels long to understand fully what has been accomplished. It's as as if they're learning in real time about the manifold wisdom of God through us. The angels, of course, couldn't help but see... That in God's infinite wisdom and redemptive plan that a redeemer had arisen for sinful fallen image bearers, but not for fallen angels. Did you catch that? God the Father sent his only begotten son to save the sinful image bearers, but not the fallen angels. This is the whole entire point of Hebrews 2. That the founder of our salvation, the son of God, someone superior to angels, the redeemer had come to redeem unto himself sinful fallen image bearers, but not fallen angels. The angels stand in awe and give God glory, watching as his hand directs all time, space and matter, and his infinite wisdom and the greatness is on display for all of creation. And what was the purpose of this mystery? Galatians 4, 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, it's as if God said, now's the time, I'm going to show everybody what I'm doing. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now that we've heard the mystery of Christ, the gospel of Christ, and the cross of Christ, his plan, let's look actually at his saving purposes. What was God's saving purposes? Ephesians 3, verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Let's go back To Ephesians, the second chapter in the uh, verse eight, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. So through faith in Christ, we can come before him in righteousness, in confidence, in freedom, in boldness, as opposed to coming to him in doubt and in fear and in weakness because of the finished work of Jesus. This, this is the reason Paul interrupts his own thought here. The purpose of the of Christ. What has the knowledge of this mystery cost Paul? We're gonna, this is our last verse in Ephesians. I, th- I found it interesting that he closed here, closed his thought here. Ephesians, the third chapter, in verse 13, he says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And the Ephesian readers knew of the suffering of Paul. In 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, verse 25, Paul was stoned. Five times he received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times beaten with rods. Three times he was shipwrecked. It's actually four, but three times at this point. Adrift at sea. Dangers in the wilderness. Dangerous river crossings. Robbers. Hunger. Sleepless nights. Cold. For what? For the souls of the cities that he's visiting. So the Ephesians readers must have been questioning and, 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 and a bit discouraged. Is this what Christian life looks like? Do I really want this life of suffering? Now, Paul has explained the mystery of Christ, and they understood it, but <clears throat> they understood what Jesus had done for them, but his suffering must have been a little bit of a discouragement, and that's why he wrote this. Why is this verse even here? That's what you should do when you're looking through the Bible and you come to something that doesn't really make sense. Why is it here? And Paul explains to them, don't be discouraged for my suffering because it is your glory. And Paul saw suffering as part of being like Christ. In Philippians 3, 10 through 11, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the res- resurrection from the dead. This, this, this is a man who was blinded in the middle of nowhere by the glory of the Lord, and he's saying that I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul wanted to so be like Christ that he didn't care what it looked like. That's what we need to get That's the point we need to get to. It doesn't matter what it looks like. We just want to be like Christ. Does't matter what it looks like. In Romans the eighth chapter and the 17th verse, Paul says this, "And if children, children of God than heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so Paul saw suffering as a sign of glory. Just as Jesus has suffered for us in our place, in love, Paul, in some measure, is suffering for the readers in their place. And Paul's not, not only revealing the mystery of Christ that he is telling them, he's also demonstrating the mystery of Christ through his life. Paul says, don't be discouraged. It's an honor for him to suffer for Christ. The mystery of Christ includes suffering and persecution, which we're starting to see in an accelerated rate. But the Spirit of God can strengthen each and every one of us. And as long as we understand whose we are, God's purpose will be done. You will either bow to Jesus as the lamb or you will bend the knee as the lion. That's your choice. So I leave you today with Jesus' own words in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. (coughs) Blessed are those who are persecuted for my righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you and falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, just as Paul said, for your reward is great in heaven. <clears throat> for those, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The prophets were persecuted, the disciples were persecuted. Jesus told us this. It's nothing new. <clears throat> he says, do not lose heart. All this suffering is for your glory.